1: Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And thank you, Father, for blessing us today with wisdom and understanding from your Word. Um, Draw us unto yourself, Lord. Set us free to worship you the way you please, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Okay. We're going to call this Overcoming Through the Power of Praise. And first, we're going to look at the biblical worship and praise. Okay. Vine's Expository Dictionary says the Greek word for worship is to make obeisance, do reverence to, and it's from pros, uh, which means towards, and cuneo, which means to kiss. In other words, to kiss towards. It is the most frequent uh, word rendered to worship, and it is used of an act of homage or reverence. In other words, worship is an act of love towards God, to kiss towards. And Father is looking for those who worship Him with all of their hearts. John 4 and 21 Ah uh, says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you know not. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such doth the Father seek to be his worshipers. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, obviously, there's a bunch of fake worship out there, words without heart and spirit. True worship is with the mouth and heart and sometimes even the feet and, uh, and the fear of God, okay, Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, And the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and with their lips to honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment of men which hath been taught them. Well, this is faking worship. You're doing it because everybody else is. You know, you're wanting to be accepted by them. It's God we have to impress, right? Worship is the way to bring God's presence. Psalm 101 uh, through 5. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. A joyful noise? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Should, in other words, this is how you begin your um, service to God. Give thanks unto Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His lovingkindness endureth forever, and His faithfulness unto all generations. And worshiping brings health. Proverbs 17 and 22 says, A cheerful heart is a good medicine, which is a bad translation. The Hebrew word is a healing. Uh, But a broken spirit dryeth up the bones. Amen. A healing. Worship brings freedom. And freedom and humility should bring worship. Acts 16 and 25 says But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns unto God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. <laughs> So, it can make you free, right? And Daniel 4 and 37 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are truth and his ways justice. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. And he knew how, right? (laughs) Uh, Worship reveals our love and our admiration for God. And he knows it. Psalm 63, 1 says, O God, thou art my God, earnestly will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and a weary land where no water is. In other words, praise comes from the Hebrew word halal, meaning to brag or boast about, um, like this is doing, right? In second uh, Samuel seven and twenty two we read, "Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God besides thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. in first chronicles twenty nine eleven Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty." For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Amen. Command your depressed soul to praise and worship God. Psalm 42:11 says, Why art Thou cast down, O my soul? And why art Thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him, who is the help of my countenance and my God. Praise Him. Worship only the true God, and no other thing as God. 1 John 2 and 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Many people, you know, are distracted with these things. They think they're more important than God in worshiping God. False. Exodus 20 and 22 says, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yeah, no thing before me. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image, nor any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, that reminds me of people who keep their car immaculate and polished and glowing and so on and so forth, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing loving kindness unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Amen. Well, uh praise Him everywhere with a, a new song, uh, one that comes from your heart, and dancing, With instruments, Psalm 149, one on down, it says, Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints exult in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Amen. In the shower too. (laughs) Psalm uh, 150 and 1 through 6 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with psaltery and harp. Praise Him with timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. How many various ways can we praise the Lord? And it, and it's written in the Word, you know. This is what we need to emulate, right? It is the will of the Lord to worship in songs and hymns. Ephesians 5, 17 through 20 says, Wherefore, be ye not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunken with wine wherein is riot, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Worship in tongues and with understanding. 1 Corinthians fourteen fifteen says, What is it then I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Yeah, singing in tongues. So, worship when you don't feel like it, right? It's a sacrifice. Habakkuk 3 and 17 says, For though the fig tree shall not flourish, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Oh, praise you, Lord. Praise, uh, as we'll see, uh, means to brag on, right? You're bragging on God. And you can brag on him to everyone and give him credit for everything. 1 Chronicles 16 and 23. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Ascribe unto the Lord, you you kindreds of the peoples, ascribe unto the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Uh, I think a scribe means to give credit to the Lord, you know, in worship, right? Um, And holy array here, I believe, represents the righteous acts of the saints, as in Revelation 19, the bride having that glowing garment and its actions that make that glowing garment, right? 30. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say, Among the nations, the Lord reigneth. Amen. Worship and praise will conquer overwhelming enemies. Second Chronicles 20 and 17. You're very familiar with this. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So they can fall down, they can... uh, you know, um, face to the ground. They can, you know. And the Levites of the children of Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with an exceeding loud voice. Some people don't act loud. They they think it's not, call, they call it decently and in order. But it's really dead when you look at them, you know exactly what they're talking about. Verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed them that should sing unto the Lord and give praise and holy array. As they went out before the army, before the army, and, and say, Give thanks unto the Lord for his loving kindness endureth. They were given thanks before the battle. <laughs> and, and the military wasn't out front, the praisers were. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set liars in wait against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sur that were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Mm -hmm. So you overcome your enemies, even overwhelming odds uh, by praise. So worship to bind the enemy and their kings, Psalm 149, 6 through 9. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. What does that mean, the high praises? And the two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the nations and punishments upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all of his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Because judgment and enemies are near, we need to fear God and worship Him. Revelation 14 and 7 says, And He saith with a great voice, Fear God and give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And Daniel 3 and 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And 2 Kings 17 and 38 and 39 says, And the covenant that I have made with you you shall not forget, neither shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God shall you fear, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. So we can clap and shout our triumph over enemies. Triumph is celebrating the victory before you see it. In this case, Psalm 47 and 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Yeah. And Joshua 6 and 20 says, So the people shouted, and the priests blew trumpets. And it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Amen. We also celebrate the Lord's triumphs in worship, Exodus 15 and 20, 21, says, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Yes, celebrate the victory. We are taught to worship, praise, and pray with hands lifted up to the Lord. Some people don't like that. Well, so what? You're going to please the Lord, right? Psalm 63 and 4 says, So will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. 1 Timothy 2 and 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and disputing. Lamentations 3 and 41. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Nehemiah 8 and 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with the lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Yes, that's legal too. <laughs> uh, so, so why lifting up hands? I think offering our hands to the Lord uh, is, is for His works and to conquer his enemies. Uh, Exodus 17 and 9 and 10 says, well, I'll go a little bit further than that. Uh, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses said, Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hand Amalek prevailed but Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat thereon and Aaron and her stayed up his hands they held up his hands the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Mm. So we raise our hands in praise when we uh, grieve over sin or bondage to conquer these enemies. First uh, Kings 8 and 38 says, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people, Israel? Who shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands towards this house? 2 Chronicles 6 and 29 um, through 30. What prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people, Israel? who shall know every man his own plague and his own sorrow, and shall spread forth his hands towards this house. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and render unto every man according to all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of the children of men. So we worship and praise to break the curse, as we can see. Uh, Exodus 9 and 29 says, And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord. The thunders shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. Yeah. Yeah. Spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. Humbling oneself is a part of worship. Revelation 4 and 8. I would say through maybe 11. Uh, And the four living creatures, having each one of them six wings and full of eyes round about and within, and they have no rest day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures shall give glory and honor and thanks to him that sitteth on the throne, to him that liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders shall fall down before him that sitteth on the throne, and shall worship him that liveth forever and ever, and shall cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they were and were created. Again, praise in Hebrew is halal, uh, meaning to brag on the Lord, and this could be to give credit or ascribe the Lord, uh, Psalm 29 and 1, ascribe unto the Lord, O ye sons of the mighty, ascribe unto the Lord glory and strength, ascribe unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, worship the Lord in holy array. There's that holy array again. So when you go to church, make sure you're in holy array. Repent of any sins. Confess your sins. And God's grace and His mercy uh, in worship is needed for His favor. It's good to confess all sins before a worship and praise session. Nehemiah 9 and 1 says, Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners And stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of the of their fathers, Uh, and they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God a fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped uh, the Lord their God. Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites and said. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou art the Lord, even thou alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are thereon, and the seas and all that is in them and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. How much more us, right? An offering of service is a worship, right? Hebrews 12 and 28. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace whereby we may offer service. Uh, Offer service, sometimes translated as worship. Well pleasing to God, with reverence and awe. Service. We serve God in worship, right? For our God is a consuming fire. In Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service sometimes translated as worship. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Well, notice that worship should be a sacrifice of flesh. It should be a service, right? Uh, Worship is... Uh, An active response to the character, words, and actions of God, initiated by His uh, revelation and enabled by His redemption, whereby the mind is transformed. In other words, belief and repentance, right? The heart is renewed. In other words, love, trust, and actions are surrendered. In other words, obedience of service. Uh, all in accordance with his will and in order to declare his infinite worthiness. Wow. Okay. So, in both Hebrew and Greek, there are two categories of words for worship. Uh, The first is about body language that demonstrates respect and submission to bow down and uh, to kneel, to prostrate oneself. And the second is about doing something for God that demonstrates sacrifice and obedience to offer to serve. Here's a biblical words for worship in Hebrew. Um, Shacha, Strong's Concordance, number 7812. This term literally means to depress or prostrate oneself. Uh, and is translated in the King James version of the Old Testament as worship, a hundred times; bow down, fifty-four times; do obeisance, nine times; do reverence, five times; fall down, uh, Psalm seventy-two eleven, Isaiah forty-five fourteen; crouch, 1 Samuel two thirty-six. Humbly beseech, 2 Samuel 16 and 4. Or make to stoop, Proverbs 12 and 25. And another is Abad, strong concordance, number 5647. And this term literally means to work in any sense, but by implication to serve or enslave it is used more than 250 times in the old testament most often translated as serve and 31 times in conjunction with sachat uh, what we just read and however three times the translators of the esv chose the word worship second samuel 15 and 8 psalm 102 22 Isaiah 19 and 21. So just to give you a broad idea, you know, some some foolishly believe that self-control prohibits freedom to worship in a biblical way. How ridiculous. After what we've read so far, even, you know. But self-control stops the flesh from hindering freedom to worship. Uh, the flesh does not want to worship, therefore you must buffet it, which means blow, hitting it with blows, you know, do things that are contrary to the flesh, right? First Corinthians nine twenty four uh, through 27, Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? Even so, run that you may attain. And every man that striveth in the games exerciseth self-control in all things. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we we an incorruptible. And I therefore so run as not uncertainly, so fight I as not beating the air. But I buffet my body, and I bring it into bondage, in other words, You bring your old self-life into bondage. Lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. You make it do what you, the spirit man, want it to do and what God wants it to do. We must have freedom to do that or God would not command it. Actions are surrendered in worship to the Holy Spirit But the flesh doesn't like to worship. Just to share a couple of instances with you. At a Pentecostal-type church in Louisiana, when I was young in the Lord, the congregation would run around the auditorium and praise the Lord and uh, shout to the Lord with great freedom. Sometimes the whole church would be running around praising the Lord. Now, I'm not making any laws here for an order of worship. Uh, that's up to the whole, Lord. He's our guide, right? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, right? But a lot of people told me the church was carnal, you know, not, not having been there themselves, <laughs> because they did that in the flesh. Uh, well, when I went there just to see what was going on, I had the distinct impression that the Lord wanted me to go against my flesh, and buffet my body, and my shyness, and and to crucify it. It didn't matter to me that they might not begin in the Spirit. It mattered that they would crucify their flesh, and uh, and I wouldn't. So it is of the Spirit that we put to death our flesh, which doesn't want to worship God boldly, like the examples that we see in Scriptures, right? Well, they had a couple of rooms in that building and um, all the men would go into one room and the women would go into another room and they would turn down the lights. Then they would run up and down in the room praising and worshiping the Lord. I went in there and I just decided that I was going to put my flesh to death and I started running and jumping up and down with them and praising the Lord. And I discovered... (laughs) that it was good for me uh, because even though I didn't start it in the spirit, I was doing it against the flesh. It's it's It was really a blessing for me to be freed up and not to worry about what people thought. Amen? So in another Pentecostal church, I experienced freedom to worship. You know, let me say, In the Old Testament, they had this freedom to worship. When they weren't filled with the Spirit, what happens to people when they are filled with the Spirit? Shouldn't they do even so more, right? So in this other Pentecostal church, I experienced freedom to worship. I saw some tremendous miracles there. I didn't agree with all their doctrine. It didn't make any difference. I I was learning a lesson on worship, right? So in their big auditorium, this guy jumped up on the front pew and took off running on the backs of the pews with his eyes closed. (laughs) So he ran the length of the auditorium as fast as he could from pew to pew. And he was missing people all the way. (laughs) And, And he had his eyes closed. And there was a balcony in the back of the church, and I was sitting right where the balcony came down, so I saw that his eyes were solidly closed. He ran up to the balcony, and just before he bashed his head into it, he uh, gracefully ducked and he kept on running. And of course, that could only have been done in the spirit. Then there was uh, uh, released in the church a wave of excitement and freedom and joy in worship as they beheld this, this worship with feet, too, you know. They had another lady who, who was moved to dance going backwards. She would dance as she intermittently bowed down all the way to the floor. In other words, every few feet, she would bow to the floor and come back up. And she started running backwards, not seeing where she was going. She would run backwards down the stairs of the choir. This is truly not walking by sight here, or running by sight, or dancing by sight, right? She would run backwards um, down the stairs of the choir, all the way around the auditorium, never bumping. I mean, it was a, a feat to see her come down them steps going backwards <laughs> all the way around the auditorium never bumping into a thing and then all the way back up and that was in the spirit i saw people jump out of the choir loft i'm talking just with the joy of the lord and land on the other side of the altar and run at top speed around the corners of the pews, in other words, all the way around the pew section, without ever slowing down. The whole congregation would just bust loose in praise when somebody would do something like that. It reminded me uh, of David dancing before the Lord in worship. And when the spirit hit one man, he'd jump off of the choir loft, clearing the altar in one leap, right? Amazing, amazing, one leap. And take off running when he landed on the floor. I would watch him running down one side, and by the time I turned my head uh, the other way, he was coming up the other side. One day I saw him uh, run down the aisle with his eyes closed and jump over a small child who was playing in the aisle. He never broke stride, and he just kept on running. And that's definitely what we would call in the Spirit. It just excited everyone in the building to worship and praise the Lord. Now let me make a point here. They weren't doing this while the teaching was going on. They didn't interrupt anything of the Spirit. Uh, It was during worship and praise and giving thanks to God. Uh, They didn't bust out laughing when somebody was giving a very serious message like I've seen in some churches where it was not the Spirit of God. It was demons. Okay? We need to humble ourselves. We need to come against our flesh so that we won't worry about what the other people around us are thinking. God expects us to worship Him in front of other people, just as this verse says. Matthew 10 and 32, Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. We need to break loose in spirit and worship. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such doth the Father seek to be his worshipers. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And as we've seen, if you start worshiping freely, it will make it easier for the other person to do it too. And I'm not necessarily talking about jumping pews, but you have to start going against your flesh. You know we sang a song um um yesterday in praise and worship, and uh there was dancing going on, and I danced too, you know before the lord, and uh people were just so full of joy and then other people started dancing and before the lord and <laughs> Romans 8 and 6. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Your flesh is the enemy of God. That's what it's saying. It is the oppressor. You have to put it to death. David's wife chastised him for worshiping in dance before the ark. But he rebuked her. You know, he said, I'm going to do it more, more so. <laughs> so we've seen Jesus the Holy and the Holy Spirit in the form of fire. And big angels join us in worship and study here at UBM. And we've seen Jesus lay hands on people more than once when we were worshiping. And when I was uh, young in the Lord, uh, outside of LSU College campus, we had a, a place of Bible study and worship for the students, and uh, I personally witnessed the glory cloud of the Lord's presence enter from the center of the room. And, uh, and it was there when people were lost in worship, that's when it happened. They were just lost in worshiping the Lord, praising and and praying to God. Exodus 33 and 9, And it came to pass, when Moses entered into the tent, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tent. And the Lord spake with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud stand at the door of the tent. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. Hallelujah, is translated. Praise ye the Lord. But this is a command. And doing praise is more than repeating this command. Uh, As we saw, praise is the Hebrew word halal, uh, meaning to brag or boast about, and is applied to stating who the Lord is with all of His attributes and His works for us which are finished. And we we who see the end from the beginning and walk by faith should praise Him for what we don't yet see in the physical realm. Because we're walking in the Spirit, right? Psalm 149, 1 through 9. Praise ye the Lord. It is from hallelujah. So how does He want us to praise Him? Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. A new song? Yeah, it doesn't have to be one that's written or whatever, you know. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. There it is. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and harp, for the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek. That's the meek, notice, with salvation. Let the saints exult in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Let high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Amen. Praise defeats the enemy. Verse 7 to execute vengeance upon the nations and punishment upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, This honor have all his saints. And what does he say? Praise ye the Lord. So, hallelujah. Let us praise the Lord for draining the swamp in church and government. There's a lot of dead churches out there, folks. They're just dead. They don't praise the Lord. I don't care if they think that singing is praising the Lord. Um, praise defeats the enemy. Psalm 8, 2 through 6. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast established strength. Now, this text in Matthew 21 to 16, uh, instead of strength here, is Praise. Praise and strength, notice, because of thine adversaries, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Yeah, to cause the devil to shut up, right? Thou makest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet as also says Hebrews, but uh, the people don't believe it with their heart, right? So, Jesus is saying, establishing strength is by perfected praise. And, And what was this perfected praise that was directed at Jesus? Hosanna. This means, in Hebrew, save we pray. We have discovered that Save in the Greek is sozo, and it means much more than people know. It is used of being saved, being healed, being delivered from demons, delivered from catastrophes, etc. And the noun soteria means all my needs supplied like a little child. So, Hosanna is perfect praise that acknowledges Jesus as the Savior in all things. Uh, And it establishes His strength to save. Here's some verses that we recently received in our morning meeting by Faith at Random. Psalm 27, 1 through 6, a song of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers come upon me to eat up my flesh, even mine adversaries and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Well, as Psalm 149 shows, praise conquers our enemies, spiritual and physical. Though a host should acamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, even then will I be confident. We got a war coming, folks. Will you be confident? And Jehoshaphat's army followed the praisers into battle against three armies which fell before them without a weapon being raised, except for praise. (laughs) One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me secretly in his pavilion. In the covert of his tabernacle will he hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock. So, Father, will protect and hide us from our enemies. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about, and I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. And Psalm twenty-two, one through five, which is a psalm of David, he said, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" That's uh, Jesus, of course, um, quoted that. Why art thou so far from helping me, and from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry in the daytime. But thou answerest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not put to shame. So, the Lord inhabits our praises to deliver us from our enemies, spiritual and physical. Think about it, right? Psalm 22, 22 through 31. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the assembly will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all ye the seed of Israel. Well, notice we glorify him by declaring his name and praise. Uh, Name in Hebrew and in Greek both mean uh, nature, character, and authority. And we praise him like this in the midst of the assembly, which is the easiest place to praise him because, you know, people expect that. Uh But when we look at Scripture, we see that they declared the Word, who is Jesus, to the greater assembly of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then, of course, to the lost world of the Gentiles. So we must do the same. It is a precedent in Scripture. I don't know if you ever saw a Hezekiah Walker video where they... Their congregation went out in the middle of a street in an intersection in downtown, and they praised God on the streets, and bystanders joined in. (laughs) Uh, Remember our missionaries in prayer and warfare who declare His salvation in the midst of hateful people, and we do too in the midst of hateful people. So, uh, continuing on with uh, Psalm 22, I'm going to read 24 on down For He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, Of thee cometh my praise in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seeketh after him. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the ruler over the nations. So God is big enough to bring all of this to pass. And we should praise Him. Verse 29. All the fat ones of the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before Him, even he that cannot keep his soul alive. A seed shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord unto the next generation." They shall come and shall declare His righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that He hath done it. And shall we not do the same? Mm -hmm. 1 Chronicles 16 and 35 says, And say ye, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together, and deliver us from the nations, to deliver, to give thanks unto Thy holy name, and to triumph in Thy praise. And triumph means to celebrate the victory. And by the way, we celebrate the victory uh, by faith before we see the victory, right? Because it's written in the Word. It's promised. So we we can celebrate it now. We can give thanks to God now. So what is a, a scriptural precedent? Doesn't it mean if they did it, In the New Testament, you have a precedent, and you can do it too, right? Did God heal or deliver you? Give Him praise, and the people will do the same. Luke 18 and 43, And immediately He received His sight and followed Him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. So you can share your testimonies and others with great faith. And Luke 19 and 37, And as he was now drawing now, nigh, even at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice. while well, they got the attention of all those Jews around them. For all the mighty works which they had seen. So shall we do the same? Romans 15 and 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore will I give praise unto thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. Of course, that was the lost in that day, in that time, you know. So you can do that even among the lost. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and let all the people praise Him. Let all the peoples praise him. Amen. Hebrews thirteen to fifteen says, Through him then let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually. Doesn't that mean even when your flesh doesn't want to do it? What are you sacrificing? The flesh, right? Let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of the lips which make confession to His name. Amen. James 5 and 13. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Amen. You are free. Revelation 19 and 5. And a voice came forth from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all ye His servants, ye that fear Him, the small and the great. So let's do it, right? Amen. Well, I'm going to share something else here. The vision. This is a vision of the power of praise. Matt Ezel, nine nine twenty two. I wanted to share a vision I had of Chuck sitting next to Matt Stewart. Well, this was interesting because I shared this this dream in our next meeting, and this came to pass. After this dream, uh, when we came together, uh, uh, Chuck and Matt were sitting together, which was not the usual seating arrangement. In fact, it was different than we'd had before. So when I shared this dream... Uh, everyone laughed because that's exactly how it happened. I couldn't tell the exact location, but they were up in the front leading worship. And this is talking of leading worship to the larger uh, Internet assembly. Uh, Chuck was plugging in a common wire to a capacitor, and then the vision ended. And the, Matt said, In the field of heating and air co- and air uh, capacitors are used uh, to give power to the compressor and uh, fan of the air conditioning unit. And they give the initial boost for the compressor and the fan to start because it takes more power when they start. And then they they help them maintain that power so that it will continue to run. The common wire uh, is what connects the capacitor to the main power source of the unit. I immediately understood what the Lord was saying, which is what He's been showing us, in that we would be greatly empowered through our worship of Him. And that's been happening. I sought a verse uh, concerning this vision and got Psalm 105, 24. He increaseth His people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. Praise the Lord. So today, if you will receive your salvation, healing, deliverance, and provision, claim it and speak it out of your mouth and praise Him for it, and you will have it according to our, our Lord Jesus. Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass. He shall have it. Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them, and you shall have them. Amen. Thank you so much, saints, for being with us today. I pray that this will encourage you in the Word and in praise and in worship. And uh, thank you, Father, for blessing us today, Lord, with your Word. And uh Michael and gang <laughs> will join together and uh, and uh, get some word out. And we give thanks to the Lord for that. We ask you, Lord, to be with everyone and let them have eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again on this cool October morning. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I just praise you for your word, because your word is the standard by which we live and walk and talk and breathe. And we praise you for it, Father. And I ask, Lord, that you be with us today as we talk about healing and uh, that Jesus was the healer and we are to emulate him. And Father, I thank you for getting this message across because I believe it'll encourage people to start believing for their healing. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, that's what I want to talk about. Jesus, the healer. How many of you know there's two kinds of knowledge? The knowledge that uh, the schools, the colleges, and the universities teach, that comes to us through the five senses. And it's real safe to say that there's no knowledge of chemistry or biology or medicine or mechanics or any other field of research, but that which has come to us through our five senses, seeing, tasting, hearing, smelling, and feeling. Our bodies have really been the laboratory in which the research work has steadily gone on through all these ages up to now. And that knowledge, folks, is limited. It can't find the human spirit. And it can't discover how the mind functions in the physical brain. And it can't find God. Nor discover the origin of matter, of life, of force, or of creation. All it can discover are things that it can see, hear, taste, smell, or feel. And we call that sense knowledge. Then... There's another kind of knowledge that has come to us through the revelation called the Word of God or the Bible. And that's revelation knowledge. And that brings us in contact with the Creator. And it explains the why of creation, the reason for man, the nature of man, and the ultimate goal of man And it deals with the things that the senses can't discover or even know without assistance from this revelation knowledge. And the unhappy fact is that sense knowledge has gained the supremacy in the church today. Folks, the church is supposed to be a spiritual organization, a spiritual body to be governed through the spirit instead of through the senses. And when sense knowledge took over in the church and the fountain of the church, which is the theological schools, the church ceased to be a spiritual body and simply became a body of men governed by sense knowledge. Now, if you think about it a minute, you can see why sense knowledge, which can't, cannot understand spiritual things, will deny miracles, They'll deny answers to prayer, and they will deny the deity of Jesus, discrediting his resurrection and miracles. And it is to be expected that sense knowledge will deny the miraculous, because it can't explain it. It can't understand it through the senses. And the chief quest of sense knowledge has been for reality. Men's spirit craves that reality, and it can't be found by the senses. It is only discovered by the spirit. Sense knowledge sent us men that were we'll called philosophers or searchers after reality, and it's a profound fact And it's worthy of every man's consideration that the man who really knows Jesus Christ, who has received eternal life, never turns to philosophy. And if he's been a philosopher in the past, he gives it up because he has arrived at real reality in Christ. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, which is reality, and the life. So Jesus is the answer to all true philosophy. And when you read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds have been framed or created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things which do appear. You'll understand the why of faith. And you'll grasp the secret of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Well, how did he create? He created by the word of faith. He said, let there be. And he created with words. Jesus knew the secret of words. He healed the sick with words. He raised the dead with words. And he stilled the sea with peace. Be still. Peter healed the sick by using the name of Jesus. Paul cast out demons by saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And they used words that were born of faith. They were faith words. We become the sons of God, partakers of his very nature by acting on words. We become faith men and women. We use faith words and we produce faith results. You know, the first time those words came to me, it startled me. I began to examine myself and ask the question, why is it that people have not faith in their own faith? Well, why? Because the people who ask for prayer haven't confidence in their own faith. And for some reason, they don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in what Christ did for them or what they are in Christ. And I believe the reason for their unbelief is that they don't know what they are in Christ. they got a feeling that they're not good enough, that their faith is not strong enough. And they are acquainted with all of their own failings and weaknesses. And they accept every condemnation from the pulpit. They're always willing to believe anything against themselves. They're believing in their unworthiness, their unfitness, their weakness, their lack of faith. Well, here's some facts. Folks, the father has no favorites. Every person born into his family has the same redemption. He's been redeemed out of the hand of his enemy. And Satan was conquered for him personally. And he can say, He was delivered up on the account of my trespasses, and he was raised for my justification. And he can confidently say this, Who delivered me out of the authority of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom I have my redemption, the forgiveness of my sins. Glory to God. That's in Colossians 1, 13, 14. Folks, it's a personal, absolute redemption from the dominion of the enemy. When Jesus put Satan to nothing and stripped him of his authority, it was you in Christ who did that work. Christ acted in your stead. He did it for you. And you can say, in Christ, I conquered Satan. I stripped him of his authority, and when Jesus rose from the dead, i rose with him. And you can confidently say, But God, being rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved me, even when I was dead through my trespasses and sins, made me alive together with Christ. By grace have I been saved. By grace have I been healed. By grace have I been delivered. And raised me up with him and made me to sit with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And it's when you take your place and begin to assume your rights and privileges that God begins to respond to you. you got the same eternal life that Jesus had. He that hath the Son hath the life. 1 John 5 and 12. You have the Son. And you have the life. Some of you might say, I have taken Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have confessed him as my Lord. God has given to me eternal life, his own nature. I am now a new creation created in Jesus Christ. And I have God's ability to perform the good works that were afore prepared that I should walk in them. I have God's ability because I have God's nature. I have the same great, mighty, Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in me. John fourteen twelve says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Glory to God. We are his righteousness. You've got the same righteousness as Jesus did. Him who knew no sin, God made to be sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And now you can say, I have become the righteousness of God in him. And there is therefore now no condemnation to me because I am in Christ Jesus. And that righteousness gives you the privilege of standing in the Father's presence as though you had never committed sin. Because you have his nature and you are his very own child. And he's your father. And you can say, he has declared me righteous. He has made me righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And as a son, you have the legal right to use the name of of Jesus. And no one has a better right to use the name of Jesus than you do. And all authority is in that name, that name of Jesus. Now, I want you to say this with me, okay? Jesus declares that whatever I ask in his name, he will give it to me. Fearlessly, I'll take my place. I'll lay my hands upon that loved one who is sick. And I say, in the name of Jesus, disease Sickness, leave this body. Demon, leave this body and go into the abyss where you belong. Don't you ever touch this loved one again. Christ told me that they who believe should lay hands on the sick and they should recover. In my name, they shall cast out demons. He said that to me. And I accept it at its face value, and I act upon it because he said it to me. Now, you repeat that over and over again and get it into your mind, your heart. Okay, how many of you know that the father has no favorites; that all the children have their own place in his heart? He loves every one of you, even as he loves the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in John 17 and 23, that the world may know that you loved them even as you loved me. Folks, we all got the same redemption. And the work that he did in Christ absolutely destroyed the power of the enemy and now redeems everybody who will accept Christ as Savior and confess him as Lord. And that redemption is from the works of the enemy. And from his dominion over our lives. Everybody's got the same righteousness. Nobody's got a better righteousness than I do. Or more righteousness than I do. Or you do. Because righteousness comes through the new creation. When we're born again, we receive the life and nature of God the Father. And his nature makes us righteous. And ain't nobody got more of it than somebody else. All who receive his nature have come into the family and they are recognized as the sons and daughters of the great father God. Everybody's got the same rights in the family. Each one might have a different gift, but the gift doesn't make him any better or dearer to the heart of the father. Everybody's got the same love nature. You got the same great Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And everybody has the right to the same kind of fellowship with the Father. And each one has a right to the use of the name of Jesus. Each one has a right to the authority invested in that name to deliver people from the dominion of Satan. To heal the sick and to cast out demons. Folks, the Father has no favors. But the closer your fellowship is with the Father, the sweeter and richer your life will be. But the problem of healing is a problem of the integrity of the Word. A lot of folks have never recognized it, but the Word is the healer today. God, in Christ, worked a perfect redemption, and in that redemption, there's perfect healing for everybody. But because of a lack of knowledge of the Word, there are Christians everywhere that are sick. Psalms 107 and 20 says, uh, it illustrates all of this. He said, he sent his word and healed them. John 1, one in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the word he sent. He had sent His spoken word through the prophets, and then the living word was made flesh. Now He unveils the life-giving word in the Gospels and the Epistles. John 6, 63, the words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and are life. Now Hebrews four twelve: for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and quick to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word becomes a living thing only as we act upon it. As the word of God is speaking, it is always a present tense fact. And you might say that the word is always now, just as God is always now. The word is a part of God himself. God and His Word are one, just as you and your Word are one. The Word is the will of the Father, just as Jesus, the Word made flesh, was the will of the Father during His earthly ministry. What God says is, what God says will become. And had He not wanted it to be, He would not have said it. You can depend upon His Word absolutely. You've depended in the past upon institutions and men. Institutions may fail. Individuals may die. Nations may disintegrate. But God cannot deny himself. And behind the word is the integrity of God. And not only is his integrity behind the word, but his very throne is involved in his word. Hebrews 7.22 declares that Jesus is the surety of the new covenant. It says, By so much also hath Jesus become the surety of a better covenant. And he's back of every word from Matthew to Revelation. Every word was God-breathed. And the throne upon which Jesus is seated is back of every word. And there has to be a clear distinction in our mind between believing and And mental assent, because believing the word is acting on the word. Mental assent is acknowledging the truthfulness of the word, the integrity of the word, but never acting on it. It's not possessing what what you've been given. Folks, hope is not faith. It's not believing. Hope is always living in the future. Faith is now. And it's not a passive word. Passivity lies quietly without action, without choice, inert. But believing is acting on the word. Believing the word is not only recognizing its complete truthfulness, but it's taking it to be your very own now. And to act on his word is to do his will and to act in his will. And he's honored by our acting on the word. And he's dishonored by our mentally ascending to its truthfulness, by our hoping that it's going to become true sometime, and by our passivity that lies quietly, rejoicing in the word, but has no part in it. There's no action there. He that believes has. If you believe you have, his name is glorified by your acting on the word. The Father is glorified by our acting on the word. And remember that his throne is back of his word. His integrity is involved in it. John chapter 15 and verse 7 said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Folks, that's the fruit of the indwelling word, which has prompted prayers that are answered. You know, there are two views of healing. The most common view is that healing is not in the redemptive work of Christ, but belongs to us if we have faith enough to claim it. And this belief holds that faith is the gift of God. And if God gives you faith for your healing, you're going to be healed. If he does not give you faith, there's no need to struggle for your healing. Your only hope is the arm of the flesh. That view is superficial, and it's a result of sense knowledge. Sense knowledge is the knowledge of natural man that is gained through the senses. It is the kind of knowledge taught in all of our colleges and technical schools and universities. But the other kind of knowledge is revelation knowledge. And it teaches that miracles are for today. Sense knowledge repudiates it in a very large measure because it's above the knowledge of the senses. And the second view of healing is that it is a part of the plan of redemption. That disease came with the fall and that sickness is a work of the adversary. Because disease came with the fall, God is the natural, logical healer. Man can't deal with the sin problem. He can, he cannot make himself righteous. And he can't rid himself of sin consciousness. Because these can only come through the finished work of Christ. And God planned that when we were recreated, and that's the recreation which comes through our receiving the nature and life of God, we would be righteous. And we would partake of his righteousness, which is his very nature. And that would give us that position as of sons of God. And the new creation is more than being baptized or confirmed. It's receiving the life and nature of the Father. Our spirits are recreated by receiving eternal life. And Isaiah 53 holds the key of redemption. Jesus was made sin with our sins. Not only was he made sin with our sin, but he was made sick with our sicknesses. Now, natural man is called sin. Second Corinthians 6 14 and 6 through 16 says, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness and iniquity, or what communion hath light with darkness? Folks, the believers call righteousness. And the unbeliever is called iniquity. He's not only committed sin, but he is sin. The believer is called light. And the unbeliever is called darkness. And just as the sinner is sin, the sick man is not only sick, but he is sickness. Sin deals with the spirit. Sickness is a spiritual thing revealed in the body. It says, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? the believer is called Christ because Christ is a part of the body. The branch is a part of the vine and it's as much a part of the vine as the vine itself. First Corinthians 12 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of the body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And the man outside of Christ is called Belial that perfectly agrees with John chapter 3 and verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. When God laid our sin on Jesus, <coughs> he laid us on Jesus. He laid the whole man on Jesus. He laid his sins. He laid his weaknesses, his infirmities and diseases, his union with the adversary on Jesus. Jesus became sin with our sin and became sick with our sicknesses. Isaiah fifty three ten says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Another translation reads, It pleased the Lord to crush him with disease. He hath made him sick. And the sixth verse, All we, like sheep, have gone astray, have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was made sick with our sicknesses. He was made sin with our sin. And this was God's method of dealing with the sin problem. He settled the sin problem. Folks, there ain't no sin problem anymore. Christ put sin away and satisfied the claims of justice for man. The real problem is the sinner problem. There ain't no sickness problem. There's simply a problem of the believers coming to know what his inheritance in Christ is. When John the Baptist said in John chapter 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Folks, he was given public notice that this man whom he had baptized was the sin substitute, the sickness substitute for the human race. Sin and sickness come from the same source. Satan is the author of both of them. And I'm sure that it's God's order that the believer should be as free from sickness as he is from sin. He should be as free from the fear of disease as he is from the condemnation of sin. God can't see sin in the new creation. Neither can he see sickness in the new creation. James wrote, is any sick among you? There should not be any sick among you. But if there is anyone sick, this tells you what he should do. And it was the plan of the Father that every believer should know what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24. Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree that we, having died of the sins, might live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. God wants us to know that when He laid our sins and sicknesses on Jesus, and Jesus bore them away, it was to the end that sin and disease should no longer have dominion over us. And He wanted us to know, in the second place, that sickness and disease do not belong in the family of God. And if there should be any sickness among us, it's because of a low state of knowledge of our rights and privileges in our redemption. And it's due to a lack of knowledge of the fact that God, by laying our diseases on Christ, has settled the the disease problem in redemption. We should be as free from the fear of sickness as we are free from the condemnation of sin. Both of them are of the adversary. And at the new birth, sins are all remitted. The sin nature is displaced by the nature of God. Disease leaves with the sins. So the father can see no sickness in the new creation. He put it all on Christ. And when we recognize the fact that our sickness was laid on Christ, and that he bore our diseases in his body on the tree, and that by his strife we are healed, it will be the end of the dominion of diseases in our lives. But this knowledge is of no value until your heart says, Surely he bore my disease. Diseases and my pains and by his stripes, I am healed. Just as though you were the only sick person in the world. Folks, the word is like God. It's eternal. It can't, cannot be destroyed. He watches over it to make sure it's good. His word, folks, brought man into being. Now he's building himself into man through the word. The Word is part of Himself, and it is this self that is changing the conduct of believers and bringing them into harmony with Himself. He shares Himself with us. He gives us His nature in the new creation, and He makes Himself one with us. We're united with Him in the new birth. And folks, we're supposed to be taking advantage of this union. His nature gives us new ability, new wisdom, and we must take advantage of it. His strength is ours. His life is ours. His health is ours. His ability is ours. Disease is Satan's work. And when you tell anyone of it, you glorify him. You glorify Satan. And you ignore the fact that God laid that disease upon Jesus and that he put it away. The word says that you're healed. So get used to acting on the word. Now, it's necessary that there be a continual confession of our redemption from Satan's dominion and that he no longer rule us with condemnation or no fear of diseases. And we hold fast to that confession as our confession is Satan's defeat. Now, we as believers don't ask to be healed because we've already been healed. We don't ask to be made righteous because we've already been made righteous. And we don't ask to be redeemed for our redemption is an absolute fact. And in the mind of the Father, we are perfectly healed and perfectly free from sin because he laid our diseases and our sins upon his Son. His Son was made sin with our sins. He was made sick with our diseases. And in the mind of Christ, we're perfectly healed because he can remember when he was made sin with our sins and when he was made sick with our diseases. He remembers when he put our sin and our diseases away. And in the mind of the Holy Spirit, we're absolutely free from both. For he remembers when Christ was made sin and when he was made sick. He remembers when he raised Jesus from the dead. Christ was free from our sin and our sicknesses. Both had been put away before his resurrection. And the word declares that 1 Peter 2.24 by his stripes we were healed. And the whole problem is our recognition of the absolute truthfulness of that word. And it's not good taste to ask him to heal us for he's already done it. He declared that we are healed therefore we are healed. Now the only problem now is to get in perfect harmony with his word. And if he declares we're healed, then our part is to thank him for the work he's already accomplished. Praise God. Now, let's talk about another subject for a moment. That's the renewing of our minds. It is only the renewed mind that can grasp these truths. Your spirit has been recreated, but not your mind. Up to now, your mind has received all of its knowledge through the senses, so it has to be renewed, right? Romans 12 and 2 said, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that same truth is brought out in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23, And that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, And have put on the new man that is being renewed unto the knowledge after the image of him, that created him. Folks, this renewing of the mind comes through meditation and action and confessing the word. And as soon as one is born again, he ought to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and make his home in his body. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 shows the Father's attitude in regard to that. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And as surely as we ask him, so surely will the Spirit make his home in our bodies. Glory to God. And the renewed mind sees that all there is to be done for its healing is to praise the Father for it. it says this, my diseases were laid on Christ and he put them away. I am healed and I thank the Father that it is done. There might be pain there. There may be some soreness there. But these are only the testimony of the senses, and we refuse to uh, to listen to the witness of our senses. We accept only the word of God and act upon it. And as surely as God sits on the throne, he'll make that word good in us. We don't ask for power, for he who is the power is in us. We don't ask for wisdom, for Christ was made wisdom unto us. We don't ask for redemption, for he is our redemption. And we don't ask for sanctification, for he is made unto us sanctification. We don't ask for righteousness, because he is made unto us righteousness. Folks, this faith life is the most beautiful thing in the world. We step out of the old sense realm where we have lived. You know, we've always lived with Thomas. He said in John chapter 20, and verse 25, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my my hand into his side, I will not believe. What did Jesus tell him? He said, Reach hither thy finger and see my hands. Reach hither thy hand and put it into my side. And be not faithless, but believeth. Then what did Thomas do? He said, my Lord and my God. But Jesus said to him, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You don't need the evidence of the senses. Just rest on what the word of God says. Ephesians chapter one and verse three says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Folks, you're in the family. Everything that the Father has belongs to the children, and you're one up. You've been blessed. What about healing for the world? Well, God meets man where he is. Most of the healings that were performed by the apostles and the early church were among men and women who had not yet become Christians. They were heathens, or they were Jews. Healing was God's method of advertising, God's method of revealing himself to the natural mind. And Jesus was an intrusion into the sense realm. The church, the new creation, was an invasion into the sense realm. But today, The sense knowledge has invaded the church and taken it captive. The sense realm is the realm of the natural man, that is, the man who believes only what he can hear, taste, smell, feel, or see. And God's intrusion into that realm in the person of his son as head of the church was a miraculous invasion. Mark 16, verses 16 through 21 gives us a little evidence for this. He said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieves shall be condemned, and these signs shall accompany them that believe. You know, our confession, it either imprisons us or it sets us free, glory to God. A strong confession coupled with a corresponding action on the word brings God, On the scene and holding fast to one's confession when the senses contradict shows that one has become established in the word of God. A Satan inspired confession is always dangerous. And all you need to remember is that he brought that disease and put it on you. Your acknowledgement of the disease is like signing for a package that UPS left for you. Because Satan then has a receipt for your disease. You've already accepted it. Surely he had borne our sickness and carried our diseases. That's God's receipt for your perfect healing. A positive confession dominates circumstances, while a vacillating confession permits circumstances to govern one. Your confession is what God says about your disease. And a negative confession will make the disease stronger. Then your confession heals or it keeps you sick. The confession of your lips should have your heart's full agreement. As soon as man believed, these signs were supposed to accompany him. Mark 16, 17 and 18. In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drank any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That word believer means a believing one. And as soon as a man was born again, God planned that he ought to advertise that new creation by healing sick folks in the presence of an unsaved world. Jesus' entire ministry was a combat with the demoniacal forces. And the same thing is true of the church. All disease, all sickness, all pain, all trouble, all sin is a result of satanic hatred of the human race. It says, in my name, they shall cast out demons. They were to, to take Jesus' place, folks. They were going out into the world and they were acting Instead for him. First John three and eight says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We're supposed to act for him today. We're standing there for like Jesus today. It says to this end was the son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. John fourteen and twelve. Greater works than these shall he do, shall ye do because I go unto the father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. And he's not talking about prayer. He's talking about casting out demons, about healing the sick and miracles, folks. He said, whatsoever ye shall ask or demand in my name, You are demanding, as Peter did at the beautiful gate, that morning when he said to that impotent man, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That man was instantly healed, and he wasn't a Christian. He hadn't accepted Christ yet. And it's likely that the great multitudes who were healed, recorded in Acts chapter 5, were made up of unsaved people. The majority of the healings in the book of Acts were healings of sick people who had not yet become believers. And I want you to read carefully Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Practically all of these people were unsaved Jews. In Acts chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, the power of God is again unveiled. All these miracles performed in Jesus' name were upon the unsaved world. You know, the church has missed its greatest method of advertising. God's method of advertising was through miracles. Divine healing has a large ministry with the unsaved today. Christianity, folks, is Christ living in men today. The incarnation and the new both, the new birth, (laughs) are both of God. Both are miracles. Answered prayer is a miracle. When prayer does not produce miracles, it's nothing but a bunch of empty words. A miracle is God moving into the sense realm. So don't condemn yourself for your doubts. Cure them by getting acquainted with your father. Because confession always goes ahead of healing. Don't watch your symptoms. Watch what the word of God says. and Be sure that your confession is bold and vigorous and Don't listen to people. Act on the word. Be a doer of the word because it's God speaking. You are healed. The word says you are. Don't listen to the senses. Give the word its place because God cannot lie. Well, Now, what's God's method of healing babes in Christ? You know, the carnally minded man is a Christian that has not yet come to the place where the word rules him and governs his thinking. He's called a babe in Christ. He's carnally minded and he's fleshly. He's ruled by the flesh, by what he sees with his eyes, what he feels, what he hears, tastes and smells. He is a body ruled, sense governed child of God. He's a babe in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1-3. And I brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, that is, men whose spirits have gained the ascendancy over their thinking. Their spirit is recreated, but the renewed mind rules their spirit. He says, I cannot speak unto you as men whose minds are subordinate to the word of God. Their minds were not renewed because they were still babes in Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14 says, Of whom we have many things to say, in heart of interpretation, seeing you are become dull of hearing. How many believers do you reckon fall under this admonition? They can't understand the word. Verse 13, For everyone that partakes of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. This word of righteousness is very little understood. They have never had an experience in living in righteousness. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, righteousness means the ability to stand in the presence of the Father or of demons or of sickness and disease without the sense of inferiority, condemnation, or of sin consciousness. And those who live in righteousness or who know by the word that they are the righteousness of God in Christ are absolute masters of, Over circumstances, demons, and disease. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are having experience in the word of righteousness and you're finding that it's the word that heals. The ministry of the word of God is the word of righteousness. It's the word of righteousness that sets men free and leads them out of Satan's dominion into the liberty and freedom of the sons of God. Glory to God. They become fearless and they speak mighty things out of their mouth. Now the 14th verse. But solid food is for full grown men. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. The believer described above has grown up into a spiritual life in Christ. He has fed on the word until the word has transfigured him. James chapter 5 verses 14 through 16 is God's method of healing the carnally minded or the babes in Christ. God in great grace says this in James chapter 5 14 through 16. Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Confess, therefore, your sins one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its workings. Now, notice very carefully these facts. He can't see that his disease was laid on Christ, but he can see the elders, and he can hear their prayers, and he can feel the anointing oil upon his forehead. He can feel their hands upon his head. He's living in the realm of the senses. Grace comes down and meets him in this realm. And if he'd taken advantage of his privileges, he would have acted on 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that scripture is to the Christians. Had that believer, that babe in Christ, taken advantage of his rights and privileges, he would have looked up and said, Father, forgive me for the thing I have done, which caused my sickness. The Father would have forgiven him and healed him right then. But he has to see and feel before he can believe. He belongs to Thomas's class. When I see, I will believe. Practically all the faith that men had in Jesus before his death and resurrection was sense, knowledge, faith. They believed in things they saw and heard. They couldn't believe in a resurrection. They had never seen a resurrection. They saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He was simply raised, brought back to life again. But he was not resurrected because he died again. Praise God for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that comes down to our level and meets us where well, we cannot apparently act on the word because we're governed by the senses. Oh, glory to Father. I just ask and I pray, Father, that you just grow us up in this word and, and that we would act upon the word and confess those great confessions that you have given us. Confess the things that we need for our lives. If we're sick, confess that we are healed by his stripe, because it says at 1 Peter 2.24, and confess those great confessions that keep us in right stand with you and right in our bodies and in our minds, and Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, that you have given us all of these great promises in the Word of God to confess them over our lives <clears throat> and to keep us and our families safe from the enemy. And we praise you for it, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. We agree with your word, Lord, from this point on. And we'll only speak as an oracle of you from this point on. We're not going to give the enemy any word of ours because you are our God and not Satan. And we thank you for that, Father, for placing that in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen, And folks, we're out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing, bless you.
0: For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 23 16 Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Can quench my thirsting soul, pure as water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe, for your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. I trust in you. And when I face the darkest night, My Lord Jesus